Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hey, everybody, good morning and welcome to Coastal Community Church. I am Pastor Chris. Welcome those of you who are watching online. Thank you so much for tuning in and staying engaged. And welcome to all of you. Hey, This is the final, this is the sixth service, the last service of the weekend. I kind of suspect one of two things. One is you thought, Pastor Chris's voice is gonna be spent, we're gonna get out of here early, go eat that Easter ham, or you know this is the last service and he's gonna let it rip. Guess which one it is? Guess which one it is? Hey, happy, happy Easter. We are so glad you're here today, but guess Guess what? Not only is it Easter Sunday, you ready for this? It is our church's 32nd anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Our first Sunday as a church was Easter Sunday 1990. Uh, We met at the old exchange building downtown at the intersection of East Bay and Broad. I was 22 years old. So you do the math. 32 years now of loving and serving our community. 32 years of seeing lives forever changed by the power of the gospel. 32 years of sharing and experiencing the life and love of Jesus with Charleston and the world. But guess what, my friends? Hold on to your fork because the best is yet to come. I believe that. And if you've been a part of Coastal, you've seen it, haven't you? You know it. The best is yet to come. Now, for the past four weeks leading up to this weekend and preparing our hearts for Easter Sunday, we have been in a series called At the Cross. And each week we've looked at the cross through the eyes of the people who were actually there when Jesus was crucified. And it's not who you might expect. You see, most of his closest disciples, for the most part, had turned tail and ran. They were afraid. Instead, we looked at the cross through the eyes of a Roman soldier, the one who had executed and tortured Jesus. We looked at the cross through the eyes of a devoted servant, Mary Magdalene, who had been there serving and ministering with Jesus. We looked at the cross through the eyes of Jesus' earthly mother, Mary, the only one who had seen Jesus take his very, very first breath and was there when he breathed his last. And then finally, last week, uh, we looked at the cross through the eyes of a condemned criminal. A man who was actually dying on the cross right next to Jesus. But because of a final conversation, a single conversation, right before his death, it changed his life forever, his eternity forever. But there was someone else who was there at the cross when Jesus was crucified. Someone we haven't talked about yet. Someone you might not have expected to be there. You were there. I was there. You see, we were all there at the cross when Jesus was crucified. Hebrews 12, 2, in fact, says, For the joy set before him. Circle that phrase. Underline it. He endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, why? 
I mean, why did Jesus endure the cross, it says? Why did Jesus endure the beatings, the, the spikes pounded into his hands and feet, the crown of thorns slammed down onto his head, the public humiliation? Why did he go through all of that? Well, what does it say? It says, for the joy set before him. What in the world is he talking about there? Well, I believe that the answer is actually who? Who is he talking about? He did it for you. You are his joy. We are his joy. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You see, he knew that without without making this sacrifice, without satisfying God's holy justice for your sin and mine, you and I could never be made right with God. Satan, sin, and death would never be defeated. And kind of like a proud parent, you know, who experiences great, great joy when their kids are born. Jesus knew that we could never be born again without him enduring the cross. So you... We, we were the joy that was set before him. But not only were we all there in Jesus' heart and in his mind, we were actually there in another very, very real way, a very profound way. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, he personally, talking about Jesus, personally carried our sin in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. Don't you see? We were all there with Jesus on the cross because he was actually carrying our sin in his body on the cross. Your sin and mine, the sin of the whole world in his body on the cross. He took the punishment. He paid the price so you don't have to. Now, how did that happen? I mean, you know, how did it actually get to that? Why, why was all of this even necessary? Let's go back to the very beginning. God's plan has always been to have a love relationship with you. In fact, you were made to be loved by God and to love him back. Maybe God brought you here this weekend to hear that. He made you to love you, and he wants you to love him back. In fact, Ephesians 1.4 says, even before he made the world, God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So you go to the Garden of Eden, right? God creates man and woman, and he puts us there in the garden to have fellowship with him to love and to be loved. However, I think we all know that the key ingredient in any love relationship is freedom. You know, it's the the freedom to choose, right? I mean, you don't want anybody to love you because you force them or because you make them. You want them to love you because they want to, because they choose to. But left to ourselves, we tend to choose to go our own way and not God's way. And you see, Satan knew that. I mean, he knew that if he could simply, you know, kind of lead us to go our own way, that what we would do is we would separate ourselves from God 
And then that, that separation would ultimately lead to our death. And that's exactly what happened. We chose to go our own way. The Bible, in fact, calls that sin. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, the standard of God, you know, the, the, the standard of judgment, of comparison, it's not me or you. You know, it's not, you know, your neighbor, a co-worker. It's not Mother Graham, but, uh, you know, Mother Teresa or the Pope. And by the way, it's not, you know, we all have this uncanny ability to find people in our lives that we think we're better than. That's not the standard. The standard is the, the holiness of God. And if that's the standard, guess what? We all sin. We all fall short. And so that sin, our sin, ushered in separation from God, death, destruction. And now we are all literally living in the aftermath of our sin, the consequences, if you will, of our sin. And not just ours, but the sin of everyone all throughout history, all over the world. And it has literally affected and infected everyone and everything. So Satan thought he won. I mean, he did. And you know, ultimately he knew that he couldn't beat God, but you know, if you want to hurt any parent, you know that you hurt their children. And hurt us he did. And so he thought he stopped God. You know, there's no way now that God can ever have this eternal fellowship, this eternal love relationship with his children because the price for our sin is way too high because God is holy and perfect and we are not and that gap can never be bridged unless, unless God was the willing one, the, the one who was willing, the willing party to make the sacrifice, the payment. Now, here is the unbelievable good news. Because of his great, great love for you, he was willing to make that price, to pay that price. In fact, you all know the verse, even if you've never, ever darkened the door of a church, you're probably familiar with this verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he loved you, that he gave his one and only son, that Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so, after the garden, you see that God called a group of people to be his very own. A people through which eventually his one and only son would be born. And preparing for that, all along the way, he would teach his people a better way to live. He would give them his word you know, he would show them glimpses of what true fellowship and, and real community could look like. And he even asked them to make animal sacrifices to remind them that he is holy, that we are not, and that a payment is going to have to be made for their sin, that blood must be spilled. But even then, <laughs> Satan wreaked havoc. I mean, yes, there would be times when God's people uh, would obey him and they'd walk with him, but then we always turned our own way. And you see that playing out over and over again throughout the entire Old Testament. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. The Messiah is 
born, the Savior of the world. God's one and only Son has been born as a baby. It's what we all celebrate at Christmas. But Satan gets wind of that, and he tries to have him killed. In fact, really, that was Satan's whole strategy. I mean, from start to finish, his strategy is death and destruction. Death and destruction. And he's thinking the same thing that everybody else was thinking. You know, God sent his one and only son to be born as a baby, to grow up, and eventually to reign and rule as an earthly king. Now, ultimately, his problem was the same, though, as ours. His vision was short-sighted. You see, he was only thinking of the, the here and now. Hey, let's kill Jesus, and then let's just finally put an end to all this nonsense. And so for three years, after Jesus goes public with his ministry, you see this being played out in the Gospels in the New Testament, there is this back and forth, this kind of battle of, of good versus evil. And, and man, Jesus is, is teaching and loving and serving, and he is saying things that have never been said before. People are being healed, lives are being changed, but there were also some people there who chose to go their own way and reject Jesus and reject his teaching. And again, you see, that was Satan's strategy. Listen to this. Get the very people that God created, right? Created in his own image to actually rise up, betray Jesus, and have him killed. And that's what happened. Jesus is arrested. He is convicted on false charges. He is tied around a stake and a Roman soldier takes a whip with pieces of metal in it and he starts beating Jesus. He starts flogging Jesus and the blood of the sinless, only begotten son of God begins to flow. And man, Satan is laughing. He thinks he's got God against the ropes. He's so excited he can't stand it. He, he's, he is just leaning in just waiting for the inevitable end. And that crowd that is all gathered there, again, these people created by God in his image who a week earlier had all been lifting their hands like it was a great worship service, just praising Jesus, saying, hey, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. And now, on this day, they are all shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And that's what happens next. Jesus is brought to the hill of Calvary where an executioner pounds nails into his hands and feet and more blood begins to flow. And Satan is just laughing. And can't you picture all of heaven and all of the angels just crying out in horror? Father, Father God, why? I mean, how can this be? Why are you letting this happen? Why don't you stop it? And for a moment in time, Jesus, the sinless Son of God, becomes sin. Your sin and mine. And God turns his back on his one and only son, and he allows all of this to unfold. And as the last drops of blood are flowing from his body, 
Jesus cries out, it is finished. And some people think that what Jesus was conveying there is kind of the, you know, the picture of a boxer who's being knocked out in the, you know, the final rounds of a fight and his, you know, his, his knees are weak and he's falling all over the ropes and in his mind he's just thinking, man, I'm not going to make it. You know, I'm too tired. It is over. It is finished. And then he just collapses in defeat. And that's exactly what Satan thought too. But that, my friends, was not it at all. Jesus was giving out a statement of triumph, a statement of victory. It is finished. Finally, throughout all of history, now the ultimate sacrifice has come. The ultimate price has been paid. The blood of the sinless Lamb of God has been shed. It is finished. Your sins have been paid for in full. It's as though Jesus was saying 2,000 years ago, and he is saying it to you today. Know that you are loved. Know that a sacrifice has been made on your behalf. Know that our God chose to exercise his judgment on his one and only son so that now you can have fellowship with God. You can do life with God forever. You don't have to walk in your sin anymore if, if you trust in his son, Jesus. Anybody remember... Um, the old movie, The Fighter. It's, it's about 10 years old. Um, it has some big names in it. Mark Wahlberg, Christian Bale, Amy Adams. Uh, it tells the true story of Mickey Ward. He's a boxer uh, who's making a comeback, and he eventually becomes the welterweight champion of the world. Well, there's a scene in the movie where the main character, he's in one of these you know, comeback bouts, these comeback fights, and he is taking a vicious, vicious beating from his opponent. But then in the eighth round, he pulls out the old rope-a-dope. You're familiar with that term, right? You've heard that, right? If you haven't, the, the rope-a-dope um, was a boxing strategy uh, first made famous by Muhammad Ali uh, in his title fight against George Foreman. Uh, Muhammad Ali is known, of course, for his speed and his quickness. And uh, yes, Foreman today is known for his grill, um, but back in the day, he was known for his strength and his power. Well, Ali shocked everybody in this fight by simply taking a protective stance against the ropes and just letting Foreman pound away round after round after round. Now, because of his quickness, yes, Ali was able, you know, to deflect many of Foreman's blows and, you know, periodically, you know, jab him in the face. However, he, he also took a vicious, vicious beating from the much stronger Foreman. But it was all part of his strategy, you see. He felt like he was simply the better conditioned athlete and eventually... Foreman would tire, and he'd wear himself out. Well, by the fifth round, it was obvious that that's what was happening. And Ali, and only his style, begins to taunt him even more. And he's still lying against the ropes, and he's taking a pounding. But finally, in the eighth round, after Foreman is just exhausted, Ali basically turns around, gets off the ropes, and knocks out Foreman and wins back the heavyweight championship of the world. 
Don't you see that right there was exactly what Jesus did. He took the best that Satan has to offer. He took the best. He drew Satan in. He took the betrayal. He took the beating. He took the crucifixion. And then, then he pulled out the ultimate rope-a-dope on the prince of darkness and put on the greatest beatdown in the history of the world. And today, the cross the cross that was once a symbol of death and destruction is now a symbol of Christ's victory and our freedom. Listen, sure, Satan might have thought that he had won at first. I mean, he probably misunderstood exactly what Jesus meant when he said, it is finished. But I think he must have known that something was up when at that very moment the ground shook with a violent earthquake. He must have known that something didn't quite add up when at that moment the sky turned to darkness. He must have thought, man, something's not quite right when the temple curtain that had separated the people of God from the presence of God had been ripped in two. And then, three days later, on Easter Sunday morning, our God cleared up all the confusion. Let me ask you a question today. A question to our parents. How do you wake up your kids in the morning? You know, I know it's been spring break and maybe you got a little bit of reprieve this past week. But in general, how do you wake them up? I mean, you know, are they old enough so maybe it's a little bit of their responsibility? They've got some sort of alarm on a device or, you know, a phone or something. Or, raise your hand if it is just an ordeal. I mean, like, a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, you know, all that stuff, right? And it's coming tomorrow morning, right? Well, at our home... Years ago, when our kids were very young and still at home, um, this was kind of a, this became kind of a big joke in our house. You see, we um, we homeschooled our kids, and uh, even though our kids, you know, didn't get to sleep in all morning and you know wear their PJs all day. Um, there wasn't this mad rush, though, you know, just to get up really quick and you know hurry up and get everyone out the door. Now, usually, Janet woke up the kids. But for some reason, on one particular morning, I woke everybody up. Now, you need to know something about me, about Pastor Chris. Um, when I wake up, I'm up. I, I mean, I am. I'm fully awake. I, I am not one of those uh, grumpy, groggy, uh, slow-rising people who needs a shower, or a cup of coffee or something to wake up. That is not me at all. When I'm up, I'm fully up. So, I just kind of ran up the stairs, right, of my kids, and, and then I just burst into their room, opened the door, flung it wide open, and then kind of like in my, you know, Ric Flair voice, I was like, woo! Hey, it's time to get up, baby. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey, let's get up. You know, and then I even kind of, you know, I jumped in the bed, and then, you know, in Christopher's room, I kind of did an elbow drop on him, and I was just, man, let's get up. Well, guess what happened next? They complained to mommy. 
you know, that dad didn't wake him up right, you know. I didn't do what, what Janet did, what, what mom does. Because here's, here's what Janet would do when she wakes them up, okay. So Janet would very quietly walk up the stairs. And she would just ever so slightly open the door of their room. And then she would kind of, you know, sneak in and just sit quietly on the bed next to them. And then she would put her hand on their shoulders or on their forehead and say, Good morning, sweet prince. Good morning, sweet princess. And that's what they did. Now, not exactly my method, okay? It's just not, I wasn't aware of that. That's not what I did. I just think it's fun for a dad to walk into the room of his kids, right? And enjoy waking them up. So let me ask you all a question. What do you think our God did 2,000 years ago? I mean, you think about it. Jesus, his son, has been dead in a tomb for three days. Now, I can't prove this, but I like to think that maybe, just maybe, on Easter Sunday morning, as our God began to walk down the stairs of heaven, that every angel in heaven hushed for just a moment. And then maybe one angel in the back said, hey, why are we all being so quiet? And then another one responded, because our God is about to get his son up. And when Jesus wakes up, it is on. And then I believe that as he strolled through the universe, every star, every planet, all of creation turned his attention on him. And then he walked down into that borrowed tomb of Israel. And the presence of God was so strong that the Bible says an entire legion of Roman soldiers became like dead men. And then our God took his mighty hand and then he rolled back that stone. And I think he walked into that borrowed tomb and he said, Woo! Jesus, it is time to get up. We have won. We have won. It is finished. And I believe that Jesus' eyes open full of life. And here we are today, 2,000 years later. And if you, if you will simply humbly repent and bow your knee, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you will believe those truths and put your trust and your hope in Him and Him alone, you can have forgiveness of your sin. You can have purpose and peace and meaning and joy for this life and you will have a home in heaven for all eternity. Romans 10.9 says it like this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, your Lord, and you believe in your heart that God did raise him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen, because Jesus rose from the dead, he proved he was who he said all along, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who has power over sin and death in anyone, anyone. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, anyone who accepts what Jesus has done for them and puts their hope and their trust and their faith in him and him alone can have fellowship with God 
right now. Their sins forgiven and can live forever in eternity with him. Because Jesus defeated death, so can we, so can you. And then listen to this. It just gets better and better. You know, instead of having to live in just this daily defeat and despair and hopelessness, instead of just simply, you know, doing your best in your own strength and your own power, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and, you know, like in your relationships, in your marriage, your family, your struggles. No. Now, now we get to live in the victory, in the power of the resurrection. In fact, the Bible says that that same power that rose Jesus from the dead, it's available to you and me. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, this is my prayer today for you. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Listen to this. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Don't you see? We do. We have resurrection power. And now we as a church, both collectively and individually, listen, man, we got a mission. We have a reason for living. We have a purpose for life. We get to share that, share that hope, share that good news, to love our community back to God. We get to share that with the world around us. In fact, I want to invite all of you, every one of you, here today, watching this online, I want to invite you to come back next Sunday to a new series that we're kicking off next week called, in fact, Living in Victory. And each week, we're going to talk about how we can actually do that, live in victory over things like worry. Anybody struggled with that for the last couple of years? Victory over worry, over busyness, over damaged emotions, over indecision, over the dark valleys that we go through, over hurt and pain and fear. I hope you'll come back. But right now, on Easter Sunday... 2022, you have a choice to make. Sure, you can continue to struggle in your sin. And you can think that one day when you face God in eternity that maybe, just maybe, your good will outweigh your bad and maybe he'll let you just sneak on into heaven. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. Even the shadow of a sin will leap out in the presence of God. And you are either covered by the blood of Christ because of your faith in him or you're not. So you can choose that to live in sin or you can live in the victory of the cross and the resurrection if, if you believe. If you put your faith and your trust in Christ. Now listen to me. All of heaven, all of heaven is watching and they are hoping that you'll choose Jesus. You'll choose him today. 
And so are we. So are we. And I want to give you a chance to make that choice right now. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today, we thank you for the cross, for the empty tomb, and for the resurrection, and all the miracles associated with this day. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for the memories of the past 32 years here at Coastal. And God, we truly believe that through faith, the best is yet to come. Thank you. Father, we also believe that you have been drawing people to yourself. And there are people here in this room. There are people watching online. They're ready. God, they're ready. They're ready to come home. Listen, if that's you, and you're ready to choose Jesus, just pour your heart out to him right now. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what your past looks like. If you'll just take this one step of faith, God will run to you. He will make up all the distance. He will welcome you with open arms. Just pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit it. I am a mess. I've blown it. I've walked away from you. I've even pushed you out of my life. But God, today, I want to come home. I do believe. I believe that my sin put Jesus on that cross. That he was killed in my place for me. But Father, I also believe as much as I understand, as much as I know, I believe that he rose from the dead and he is alive. He is and today I put my faith and my trust in Him and Him alone. And I openly declare in my, in my mind and my heart that He is the Lord. And I ask Him to be mine, my Lord and my Savior. And God, for the rest of my days, until you call me home or come again, I just want to follow Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you. I pray these things today. In Jesus' name. And, and Father, we also pray today for those who are here that have already made that decision in faith and they walk in faith and they're living in victory. Today, Father, we have so very much to be grateful for. We love you and we praise you. And we pray all these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.